0: Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmeticscom thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics C-A-U-S E M E-T-I-C-S dot thrive for 20% off your first order. table read podcast where great stories finally get their chance to shine
1: you're listening to muses and stuff this is the podcast that's all about the dolls they were the groupies the wives the girlfriends and the muses who played such a huge role in rock and roll history by simply being themselves
2: they were sweet sexy Brave and powerful. They went after what and who they wanted and they made no apologies. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening and
1: enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello, hello. I'm sitting here with Lynx. And she just started off uh, with a banger. She just told me an amazing story. I'm wearing a Father John Misty shirt right now. It's, it's really, it's a great shirt.
2: Mm-hmm. I love
1: it. She told me a story about this time a woman got on stage with Father John Misty and tried to take a selfie with him. During Bored in the USA. During Bored in the USA. And so he's all into it, emotional, and she gets up and she... I'm, I was sitting here with like my mouth like...
2: And then she wouldn't get off the stage. He he finally relented and stood there for a moment, paused the entire song so we could all, you know, let her have this moment. And then she just continued on.
1: I was at a show <laughs> last week at the Mod Club, the Allah's the band from L.A., and two people got on stage during their set.
2: And we're just, like, hanging out up there? It,
1: okay. I have not seen, in a, like, or maybe I was really looking for it, But I saw every single kind of groupie you could ever imagine at that show that night. Every kind. They're always there. The ones that were backstage, the ones that were at the front of the stage, the uh, young boy groupie. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the guys that got up on stage. Oh yeah. Just crawled right up, took the tambourine right out of the lead singer's hand. (laughs) (laughs) That's ballsy. And then went and started playing tambourine with like a couple of the other um
2: well that's band members that's fun i mean depending on the band that can either be great or not but jumping up solely to take a selfie is is rude
1: okay so listen to this one and then there was the woman that got up and tried to take over the microphone (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Aww. So she got up, and this is not the first time I've seen this happen either. No. And I'm sure people listening to this, it's not the first time, like that. I'm sure you've seen it. Absolutely. Somebody somehow gets up on stage. Security is just doing whatever security is doing. And the woman gets up on stage and she starts <laughs> just like spelting into the microphone. And then she does exactly what you think she would do after that she crowdsurfs. To a group of people that were just, like, not ready. No, like,
2: <laughs> not that type of crowd. <laughs> you got to pick those moments, you know? It's but all about perfect did, timing.
1: They did their best to hold her up, I guess. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, and then there were these beautiful women who were sitting at the front of the stage, like, before... Um, the All The Laws went on, but they were really interested in the band before that because they were from Australia. So I had this beautiful picture of them like leaning up into the stage as the guy is leaning forward. And I'm just like, if people think that this like groupy culture does not exist. You haven't been to a show. You, got, you haven't opened your eyes. Just watch. Yeah. Just look around. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which and which one are you?
2: Which one am I? <laughs> oh, God. I think I've been <laughs> no, all... I asking you
1: <laughs> I was asking the audience but oh. if you want to. The, the audience, if the <laughs>
2: listeners. But if you want to answer
1: that, links you can.
2: Well, I think I've been all of them probably, <laughs> except the selfie taker on stage. That's a little much. But I have been invited to take over the mic before, mm-hmm. yeah, and yeah. I've sung along, but uh, always with permission good
1: i ended up getting backstage at that show um at the mod club without a pass and so that can still happen but that's another story for another time welcome to muses and stuff yes welcome (laughs) um we've got another amazing just amazing (laughs) if I do say so myself episode for you and it's um right after we did the male muses the boy in the song we're doing the girl in the song
2: yeah giving the ladies a moment to shine as well
1: yeah um and how did we narrow it down to 10 you're probably asking yourself
2: we're not asking yourself (laughs) well once again just like with the boy in the song we're trying to choose ones that are lesser known and none of the major uh muses people who deserve their own episode they'll get their own episode these are just again like five minute tales just some little tidbits for some awesome songs cool so before we get into that let's do
1: groupie good news yeah i was gonna say for the week but really it's the day because it just happened today
2: this is exciting
1: you can tell them no you go for it okay <laughs> so um i believe it. yeah you informed me so you yes. sent me a message today telling me that brian ray who is paul mccartney's guitarist is following us on Twitter now. Yes, and he's also in the Bayonets. He's also in the ba- in the Bayonets. Um and we know it is for sure him because he's got that little blue check check mark. <laughs> because what we're noticing too is a lot of people that are starting to follow us. We have to look in to see if it's really them or not. Because there's this weird I don't know if you guys know this, but there's this weird thing on the internet where people pretend to be celebrities. It's a it's an interesting form of fandom. Yeah, that's an interesting form of fandom where they have an account that just says, like, Marianne Faithful. Yeah. And then they just post And pictures. there are the
2: type who, you know, will post, like, right under that, I'm not Marianne Faithful, mm-hmm. like, this is me pretending. But there are others who want people to believe that's the case. Those are the interesting ones,
0: I think. Yeah, or
1: there's, like, these um, accounts that are just, like, rock and roll dedicated. So they'll post pictures of, like, the Beatles or Led Zeppelin. But then the caption won't be, like, explaining anything about that photo or that band. But it'll just be, like, the person's personal, like, um, I don't know, like, whatever they're going through that day. Just like,
2: oh, I don't want to do my homework. Yeah. <laughs> like, There's a lot of... Uh- Fans and groupies out there doing their own thing online.
1: Yeah. yeah it's yeah.
2: cool. You yeah. just got to be careful with some of the imposters. Mm-hmm. It's cool if you let everyone know you're not real. Just let us
1: know if you're real or not, okay? <laughs> I want real love, baby. Ooh, don't keep me waiting. So um, speaking of not real, um, Brian Ray is not not real. So he's real. Yeah. And this is—I'm going to share you his Twitter bio. So it says: singer/slash songwriter, producer, lead rhythm and bass guitar with Paul McCartney at Bayonets, and then reluctant rock
2: god. <laughs> New single out now. <laughs> That's such a strange addition there. Why? Why so reluctant? <laughs> Ryan, why we, are you so reluctant? We you playing with Paul McCartney? <laughs> You're a rock god. Okay, reluctant.
1: I think I'm like, like oh, everyone, don't. everyone
2: don't. wants to be a rock star. Don't treat
1: me differently because <laughs> I am now Paul's right hand man.
2: Yes,
1: well, I'm just a regular guy in the bayonets. <laughs> Brian, we're not making fun of you. No. Although Lynx and I were discussing earlier that people need to have a little bit of a sense of humor about rock and roll.
2: Absolutely. People are just a little
1: bit too serious with it all.
2: We need to go back to the lighter days. We need to go back to Frank Zappa and
1: Pigtails wearing a dress with yes. Jimi Hendrix just like chilling out beside him.
2: It's interesting because like even like Kurt Cobain and Nirvana and like they they did fun shoots like that where they were like dressed up like women and you know they had a sense of humor about themselves what's happened in the past five or so ten years that band seem to have lost some of that not andrew wk no he's he's still partying that guy's
1: always up for a party he's the best at least i like to think he's the best andrew wk we're gonna check in on you we want to know you still partying
2: I'm going to guess the answer is yes. Okay. Okay. All so, right. So,
1: let's get into the first song. You are going to tell me this song, links. Yes. Because it is I, Shanti, who is now speaking. Um, and you're starting off with a song that I do not know what it's about. I only know from the incredible music sequence in the bus scene Everyone. of everybody's favorite movie. No, not everybody, but
2: a lot of people if you're listening to this you probably love that film yeah, yeah. it's almost famous guys it's tiny dancer yes. links take it away <laughs> all right so when seamstress maxine feebleman joined elton john's tour she wasn't expecting to find herself a muse or a wife but destiny awaited her Ooh, yes good start i'm in know. Once a trained dancer, Maxine would spend shows side stage, dancing freely, enjoying the tunes. It wasn't long before she caught the eye of Elton John's songwriting partner, Boney, Bert, Boney. Boney. <laughs> Bernie toffin Sorry about that, Bernie. Uh, who found himself smitten and penned this loving tribute in 1970. In 1971, uh, 21-year-old Bernie... Married Maxine. Uh, they only lasted five years. Reportedly, uh, Bernie just loved the rock and roll lifestyle a little too much. Mm. Uh, but Maxine also served as muse for the song, I Feel Like a Bullet in the Gun of Robert Ford, which is about their split. And she also uh, came up with the title of The Bitch Back, the Elton oh, John nice. song. Yeah. yeah. Apparently Elton would have his days and when he did yeah. Maxine would turn to Bernie and go, "Uh-oh, the bitch is back." Elton, straight up <laughs> bitch. Yeah. But Elton knew, I mean, he uh he loved it. So it was all it was all right. All right. Cool. Yes. Tiny dancer. Mm. hmm Yeah, it's interesting. Uh,
1: You know what? I just remembered this. One of my favorite things um, Dave Grohl has ever done, and you know how we both love Foo Fighters and Dave Grohl. Um, he sang Tiny Dancer on, like, Letterman or something. Really? And he was just whispering into the mic that he really just wanted to recreate that scene from <laughs> Almost Famous. But, um, the song went on and on and on and on and on because he didn't know how to end, end it. it. He didn't know how to be sure. He just kept going on and on and on with it. And I had it on, like, a mixed CD that I listened to on my way to high school every morning.
2: Does it feel like it goes on and on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. That's that song made such a perfect scene in that film. It's just the one one of the greatest uses of a song in a movie. Yeah,
1: it's I just made the connection this week by because the last two weeks I've really been connecting with a lot more of the dolls of the groupie dolls in the group that like I haven't talked mm-hmm. to and just reaching out to them and being like, what's up. <laughs> What, what's your deal? Yeah. What are you What's up going to? on with you? What have you been up to? Who have you been up to? <laughs> and uh, they're all really great and receptive. And now I have them on Facebook and a couple of them are doing really great things, going to London, all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And um, I had posted a picture of B.B. Buell and somebody was like, man, I really thought that that was like a scene out of Almost Famous. Because there's a picture oh, of B.B. Yeah, Buell. Oh, yeah, with the bus. and the, the bus.
2: The beautiful coat.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. And that's it. It's like Penny Lane is these women. Mm. But for a lot of people who've seen, say, Almost Famous... Penny Lane is is real. Yeah. She is as real as B.B. Buell and Pamela Debar. And Mm -hmm. it's wild how. Yeah. How they took all of these women, Michelle Overman. Yeah. um, And they and put her together, put her into this like beloved
2: character. I highly, highly recommend seeing the director's cut for anyone who hasn't and who loves that film because there's so much more of Penny and she's way more well-rounded a character because of that yeah
1: my turn yeah okay go for it so i'm gonna be telling you the story of sweet caroline bah, bah, bah. Bah, 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 by neil diamond um which yeah i mean cracklin rosie is my personal neil diamond song Okay. Um, but you know I didn't know the story of Sweet Caroline before this The only beef I had with this song Which really doesn't have anything to do with Neil Diamond Is a couple of times I guess when I was in university I would go I'd go out dancing to not bands but just like a 90s night or yeah not yeah. the Neil Diamond is 90s night but a 90s night or a retro <laughs> night or whatever <laughs> and you know at those bars where they play the things but then they cut the music and then it's just the crowd so uh, like yeah. they do with Bon Jovi's oh we're halfway yeah. there they cut it yeah and it's just the crowd going ah, ah. yeah or um they don't. They probably do it with "Journeys Don't Stop Believing." They do it with "Sweet Caroline." Sweet uh, Caroline. And then the, cut the music, and then everybody. Bah, bah, bah. Bah. Okay, but the worst part is "Good Times Never Seem So Good," and then people start going "So good, so good, so good." <laughs> Did you never hear that? Oh, no, drives
2: me crazy. I've never heard that. Where was this?
1: everywhere <laughs> Peterborough Halifax that's really uh, the only place I've ever been no I think I in Toronto they're too, uh, they're too cool to to do that yeah maybe yeah. so the story um, the story this this Caroline woman this myst- mystery woman was revealed in 2007 And uh, she was inspired, or Neil Diamond was inspired by a photo of a young woman on the cover of Life magazine in 1962. The caption under the photo was, on her pony macaroni. Adorable. If I had a pony, 100% I'd name it macaroni. (laughs) He said, it was such an innocent, wonderful picture. I immediately felt like there was a song there. And it ended up being President John F. Kennedy's daughter, Caroline Kennedy. Um, so it wasn't until Neil Diamond went through a divorce in 1969 and he had had two young daughters, uh, he wrote this song, which took him about an hour, everything in. And the reason why it didn't come out until 2007 is because he wanted Caroline to be the first one to know that it was about her. And so he told her at her 50th birthday party. That's so sweet.
2: What a gift. Yeah. And like to, to go all those years, no doubt people constantly singing it at her. I mean, everyone who's named Caroline probably gets annoyed with that song at some point in their life. Yeah. I bet you, uh, I bet you, yeah, she probably had many moments with that song before ever finding out that it was about her.
1: Yeah, it is. uh, It is definitely a gift. I remember one time um, a musician gave me the literal gift of a song and then he handed it to me because he was coming in from out of town and he handed me, it was a seven inch. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, there you go. Aww. It's a song about love. <laughs> <laughs> and then we like broke up that day. I, like, <laughs> I think it was like that last time, but... um, But yeah,
2: it fir- was a gift. It was nice. It was sweet. The first time a guy ever wrote me a song, we had sort of been flirting i guess for a while but i wasn't really interested and then i finally agreed to go on a day with him and then he picked me up at my place and he handed me his ipod and he had recorded like that day this little song and he was like i wrote this for you and it was really adorable oh yeah and knowing Link's guys
1: it was Like a really famous band because I'm just like getting these stories from her, and she's just, just you wait, babies. But you're gonna
2: have to pay for that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. So the next one, just get off topic there. Shut up, Shunty. Have you said all you needed to about Caroline? I'm done. All right. So the next one comes from Anthony Kiedis's autobiography, Scar Tissue. I heard that book sucked. No, it's so good. Really? It like is it. so good. It's one of my favorite rock and roll memoirs, actually. And I have had friends who've read it who aren't even into them, and they also loved it. I'm not like a massive Chili Pepper fan myself, but it's, it's a good one. So you've been told. Okay, links. <laughs> so <laughs> he talks about meeting Sinead O'Connor in 1989 at a music festival. I was dying a million deaths watching her, he said. After the show, Sinead and the band hung out before her manager came to scoot her away. Worried he'd never see her again, Kiedis wrote her a love letter and gave it to her as she left. It wasn't until over a year later, when Sinead had moved to LA, that the pair had met again. One look at her and my heart just melted. I would have married her on the spot." The two started casually hanging out, dinner dates, movies, museums. He even hung out with her son. He called it the most wonderful non-sexual relationship he's ever had. But Ketis was smitten and wanted more. I adored her. Every day I'd wake up and I'd write her a little poem and I'd fax it to her. <laughs> Love so, fax. Yeah. It's better than that damn Facebook messenger. I guess the fax was the early 90s Facebook message. Send me a fax any day. <laughs> so everything was progressing beautifully until the day that Kiedis called and Sinead abruptly told him she was leaving L.A. and didn't want any more contact with him. Going from I can't wait to see you to don't call or come by was a terrible blow for Kiedis and he turned to his bandmate John Frushante for comfort. He's the smart one, right? He's the beautiful one. <laughs> John suggested Kitas write a song and the pair stayed up all night to record it. Kidas dropped the tape off at Sinead's before she left. The pair did not the pair did meet once more, years later at an MTV event. Kitas called the meeting the most horrible, awkward, poisonous, communicationless exchange. <laughs> Been there. What does Sinead have to say about all this? I've never had a relationship with him ever. I hung out with him a few times and the row, we, the row we had was because he suggested we might become involved. I don't give a shit about the song he wrote. Ouch. <laughs> that's pretty mm-hmm. That's pretty harsh. <laughs> Blink. Good for her though. But there is a happy ending with Akita's song. Yeah. Let me tell you right now. So a little side note. Um,
1: another muse who served as, or another muse who served as muse is what I wrote. <laughs>
2: sure. Another
1: singer. Whatever. Another singer who served as <laughs> muse to Kitas was, get this, Mel C from the Spice Girls. That's right. And you're like, whoa, Sporty Spice? Yes. yes. Sporty Spice. You would probably think it was Scary Spice. Uh, like I did. I was like, which one is that? <laughs> scary, definitely, right? And Lynx was like, no, Sporty. Okay. Um, the pair had met and struck up a of friendship the first time the Spice Girls were in LA, and they kept in touch. So he wrote the song Emmett Ramis about her, which, my friends, is Summertime spelled backwards. Mm-hmm. Now, how. Yeah. I was going to say, like, how, how clever. How <laughs> clever and poetic, but we've got some, like, real poets coming up that we're yeah. talking about, so I'm yeah, not even going to. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was definitely more flattered than Sinead was. Mm-hmm. Um, and she actually said that it was the most romantic thing that anyone had done for her. That's sweet. Do you like the song? Um, yeah. <laughs> Links don't like the song.
2: <laughs> it's all right. Hmm. It's not one of their best, but it's, it's cute. Hmm. Okay. All right. Oh, it's my turn
1: again. Okay. Fantastic. So now we're going to move on to... Um, more modern. A more a more modern song. And it's uh, Mac DeMarco. So we've been having... Uh, we had Agnes DeMarco, Mac's mom, on the podcast. And she's amazing. Hey, Agnes. Hi, Agnes. And we've been in touch with her. And we're going to have um, kind of a, like, what's up, Agnes segment in the spring. But it's going to be video-based. Um, so, yeah, we have that coming up. And we've been thinking about max muse kira Mm -hmm. so her name's kira mcnally and they've been together since they were 14 years old
2: that's so impressive
1: yeah yeah um i heard that yeah they were at a party when they were 14 no i didn't hear it i read it in a pitchfork article (laughs) where she just like walked up to him um like kind of drunk at a party when they were young was like i love you you know And I guess it's been, like, they've been together. And
2: he was like, I love you too.
1: Yeah, (laughs) so there's um, three songs specifically on the Salad Days record Mm -hmm. that are called the Kira songs. And so one for sure is um, Let My Baby Stay. And... Like, just listen to some of these lyrics. I was made to love her, been working at it half my life, I've been an addict, and she's been good to me, far as I can tell, she's happy, living with her Mackie, so so please don't take my love away, let my baby stay, please don't take my love away, let my baby stay, and where would I be, feeling lonely, separated from my one and only? And what's there left to say? Far as I can tell, that day could be on its way. So please don't take my love away. Let my baby stay.
2: That's so adorable. Like, that is
1: some... Like, that is poetry. Yeah. Mac DeMarco, the guy who, like, used to... St- or I don't know if he still does. Like, stick things in his ass on stage. Like, <laughs> fucking
2: Spouting poetry. Shit. Yeah.
1: Totally. Um, So I'd say, like, probably... The other songs might be Let Her Go. And uh, so I put like Magna Marco, Let Her Go lyrics into Google. And then I'm like reading, and I'm like, whoa, these ones are like even more, not intense, but it's like I really didn't expect like this from him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I just like look up and I was reading the lyrics to Adele's uh... <laughs> Send My Love to Your <laughs> Lover. <her. laughs> how did those get mixed up <laughs> i have no idea um <laughs> so this song let my baby stay is he says it's essentially about kira being an, an illegal immigrant in america because we know that they live in in brooklyn okay. um her ability to enter and exit the states is threatened so that's a stress for me um and it's pretty much all my fault so Yeah, he was saying it's hard being on tour 10 months with a few breaks. Sometimes they've gone 90 days without seeing each other. They live in a tiny place together, but it's essentially like being in a long-distance relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not easy dating a musician. It's really not.
2: I kind of like that they go away for a while. (laughs) Yeah. That's just my preference. No, I I get that too. And
1: I do like that too because I like my alone time my independence and you get to miss them and things I, like that. yeah some
2: relationships are different theirs is obviously a very close one i think maybe
1: it's just uh it's just kind of hard to date a musician in general
2: oh yeah for sure um that's why if you expect anything like lasting you're you might end up hurt mm. it should be about fun yeah
1: yeah okay yeah let's not go down the (laughs) the the sad uh rabbit hole of all of the reasons we shouldn't date musicians (laughs) (laughs) i'm retired like nice try yeah it's no matter what you do it's like
2: it's always there
1: yeah i don't even i I don't even do it on purpose now it's like i'm not even it's just there it is I okay so one thing that i found that was pretty interesting like reading up about kira is seeing like how many followers she has online and it does say in the article that you know there's lots of pictures and videos of them online so people start to get interested when um musicians are dating people male female whatever mm-hmm. um he says it's fucking weird that a relationship's so public um and I can't just objectify Kira as this lovey dovey thing to sell my records. And but she's all like, Oh, it's reality, man. But I mean, like throw back to the shirt that I'm wearing of Father John Misty's, you know, I love you honeybear. Bear. Mm. The girls are like, if you need to do it, then you do it. Yeah. Sometimes you have to um how can Every rock star <laughs> has
2: every rock star has a muse that's inspired them. Yeah. I was reading up about um BB
1: Buell inspiring uh or yeah, Elvis Costello with the blood and chocolate record which is apparently because every time um she had her period she'd want the she'd want chocolate and he was so mad at her after she aborted their child or made the decision to abort their child or unborn you know whatever Mm -hmm. we want to call it um he pretty much denies that like get happy or anything else had like that she had any kind of influence but she was saying like he they had a deep relationship interested in what kind of mascara i was wearing yeah like he was so interested in everything that i was doing um it seemed sound like a pretty intense affair but so the article that i found that on um and if you want to know more about baby's relationship with elvis you can go and listen to that episode that um is about her and you know Mick Jagger, Steven Tyler all that. But the this article in particular just I I to refresh my memory called her book deliciously trashy and they called her self-obsessed. They do that for like all of the women. What is up all with that? Them. Why are all of these guys like saying like oh, like I even had yeah. I don't know if I want to say it this way, but Somebody said she would go... De- not talking about BB. talking about somebody else. She'd definitely go on your podcast because she loves to talk about herself. And it's like, okay, but then can we say that the musicians that are getting up on stage... Like, exactly. Well,
2: yeah. And the, is everyone... Just because they love hearing their own voice. Are they like,
1: come on.
2: Is everyone who writes a memoir self-obsessed? Like... Well, <laughs> probably. But... If, but if we're
1: going to sort of chastise one person with this autobiography exactly. and calling them self-obsessed, yeah. then, l- l- like, what about all of these other, bi- like, autobiographies that I'm turning to on mm-hmm. my shelf
2: that are by, bi- you know... Exactly. It's it's ridiculous. I
1: mean, I guess they are. Yeah. So, there's McFleetwood's, you know, um,
2: mm. autobiography.
1: Is he self, self-obsessed?
2: Probably. But is anybody giving him shit for it? And no. If, if there's a good story there and they want to tell it, like... How is that harming you? Like, why do you have to Right? Yeah, on guys, someone? guys, just chill. <laughs> okay. I feel like some, some musicians, maybe this is Elvis is this way. Uh, they feel like if they say that someone helped inspire a song, a, a, a woman, whatever, that it somehow lessens their talent. Like, they're afraid it'll take away from them to admit that other people influence them. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a strange thing, because there's been many musicians who support the women that they've been with in what they do later on in life, um, but there are others who try to run away. and Elvis is a good example. Like they had a pretty intense relationship, and you're if all artists absorb what's around them Mm -hmm. like it makes sense and to like not even want to admit that like blood and chocolate was somehow influenced by her seems kind of silly
1: yeah totally
2: all right your Uh, turn all right you're up so (laughs) this one is a fun one well it's a folk one a what a folk folk a folk okay let's hear it So the next song, Sweet Judy Blue Eyes, that's Sweet S-U-I-T-E, by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So when Stephen Stills and Judy Collins got together, she was five years his senior and had just released her seventh LP. hi He served as guitarist for her eighth album in 68 before him and David Crosby began jamming. And in the summer of 68, Graham Nash joined them at a party hosted by Joni Mitchell in the canyon. Oh, I would give anything to be at that Can party. Can you imagine? And the trio like blew everyone away, and they became Crosby, Stills, and Nash with their beautiful harmonies. So with both of them at the height of their game, their relationship began to buckle, and that gave Stills endless material. It poured out of me over many months and filled several notebooks. I had a hell of a time getting the music to fit. Judy thought the song was beautiful and was present for the recording of it in late 1968. The following year, uh, the pair split, unfortunately. Uh, She left him for actor Stacy Keach. On the version they recorded for their first album, Stephen plays all of the instruments himself. Like, it was too precious a song mm-hmm. for Let anyone else it. to touch. Let me do it. And in 71, uh, during our Rolling Stone interview, um, I think the, the interviewer said something about Judy and um, he, her being amused for multiple songs of his. And Stephen said, there are three things men can do with women. Love them, suffer for them, or turn them into literature. I've had my share of success and failure at all three. Hmm. Judy would go on to record over 40 albums. She wrote novels and memoirs and was appointed a Goodwill Ambassador in 95. The pair are still... Then why does nobody know about her? I know, right? She's sort of like a a forgotten folk woman she no was hitting she was like at um the head of like all these protests during that area she she did a lot she was a figurehead for you know well we should post the a picture of her she, we will that's a good idea so the pair still on it's very the good least terms. we can do yes <laughs> Judy says he wove all that together in this magnificent creation. So the legacy of our relationship is certainly in that song. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, they're another beautiful folk couple. Like Joni. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Joni gets her dues, oh, but Judy Joanie. doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's true. Very strange.
1: Um well speaking of judy she's gonna show up in my next one really yeah so i'm doing suzanne by leonard cohen Mm -hmm. and man i think everybody's gotta know about suzanne by now i think she's probably one of the most famous muses music muses um i love leonard cohen
2: Oh, God, me too.
1: I love, I was, I'm more of a Leonard Cohen poetry groupie than anything. Like, I for sure listened to his records, but there were like years where I would just, I would just be on the bus or just like sitting by the river
2: or like sitting under a tree and I would just, ugh. I, it's one of my big uh, music regrets that Mm -hmm. I never got to see him live. Yeah. I've been praying that he would come play at Massey Hall or something like that, like a nice venue, but unfortunately, he
1: Mm. passed. Well, Suzanne met him in the 1960s, and she was a teenager. He was in his late 20s, and he first saw her at Le Vieux Moulin Jazz Club in Montreal. So... She was dancing with her lover and husband-to-be, who is a sculptor named Armand de Viancourt. So if you can just probably picture Leonard Cohen sitting there watching her. Mm -hmm. Sitting watching her dance. Romantic, creepy. (laughs) If it wasn't Leonard Cohen, I don't know what to tell you. But it was Leonard Cohen, so...
2: So it's okay. So it was
1: okay. <laughs> um, apparently, according to the book that we read, uh, she was amused to many beat poets. Mm. So I don't know. Maybe you just have that quality that you just become amused to beat poets. A well, charisma.
2: Kind of. Yeah, it was something. Something.
1: I don't know what because I cannot say that I am amused to any beat poets uh, yet. <laughs> I'm still young are (laughs) any of you out there Um, in 1965 she went through a separation and she went to live with her daughter and that's when Mr. Cohen started visiting Mm. Um, and I guess he was really kind of inspired by the crooked floors and the poetic view of the river from her home so he'd go over and um They'd light a candle, serve tea, and sit in silence.
2: That's beautiful.
1: Yeah. There's something on my, on my yoga studio the other day up on the wall, and it was something like, you know, true communication happens in silence, something like that. And uh, so then after they got their their little bit of silence out of the way, they talked about What else? Life and poetry. Of course. Mm -hmm. So it was a true meeting of the minds, not bodies, um, regardless that Leonard Cohen um, was smitten. So that's when lines such as, you've touched her perfect body. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You've touched her perfect body with your mind. And um, yeah, you know, Suzanne was the woman who was... Literally feeding him tea and oranges. That's what they would do. And so uh, the the poem from The Parasites of Heaven, 1966, Suzanne Brings You Down, Um, he'd written that. And Judy Collins recorded it.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Before Leonard did. Yeah. Yeah. And then he got
1: a record deal. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like Hallelujah came out then kind of around there. And uh, Leonard Cohen, I like this. Established as the thinking woman's favorite.
2: <laughs> Goddamn right. That's interesting. Yep.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. So she was very much, uh, very, very much a like kind of hippie woman. Um. She would wear like rags and feathers from the Salvation Army counters, and um, yeah, like they, I think they remained friends but that was it i think it was kind of an unrequited love type of deal
2: well that's really beautiful
1: it is yeah it is um but i mean man like i love leonard cohen and i think he was you know beautiful poet attractive man like absolutely what are you going to why do you say no to that
2: i don't know i, I couldn't tell you <laughs> yeah there's one woman who couldn't say no to Leonard Cohen. Who? Once. Janis Joplin. What? Yes. So in the late sixties, genuine surprise. <laughs> like I'm,
1: oh. you're gonna like this. Okay, <laughs> let's hear it.
2: So the both of them had been living at the Chelsea Hotel for a while in New York, and as we know, the Chelsea served many poets, many musicians. uh, and in 71, Cohen penned this as a eulogy to Janice, mm. the song Chelsea Hotel Number Two. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah. So the legend has it the pair met in the elevator, and Janice had been trying to hook up with Chris Christofferson unsuccessfully. At, I, I don't want to say permanently unsuccessful, but at the time, unsuccessful and she bumped into cohen and as this, he says in the song you told me again you'd prefer handsome men but for me you'd make the exception Ooh, yes yeah. so their affair is very brief and relatively meaningless for both of them and cohen has since regretted admitting that she served as a muse i think because lots of people assume they must have had something deeper than just like a one night stand Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and um he didn't really know her that well or they certainly didn't have like a real relationship so he calls it the the sole indiscretion of my professional life oh wow that it's about her Yeah, okay it's a beautiful and sad and i think fitting tribute to janice yeah wow okay I love the Chelsea Hotel and another interesting little tidbit their encounter happened in room 104 and then about a decade later in room 100 that's where Nancy Spungen was murdered by Sid
1: oh shit yeah that is a little tidbit just down the hall I feel like I should give a little tidbit now Okay, I'll give you a tidbit. It doesn't have anything to do with um with those numbers or those people, but uh, it's a Tom Petty. It's of a little course Tom it Petty is. tidbit. You gotta get it in. So do you know the song by um Stevie Nicks called Edge of Seventeen? Of course. Do you guys know that song? Of
2: course.
1: Sings a song Okay, so Edge of Seventeen. Do you know what that means? I just assume the
2: obvious, but Tell
1: me. Okay. So the the reason why it was named Edge of 17 was because when the song was being written, Stevie Nicks was having a conversation with the then wife of Tom Petty and she asked them when they met. And she said at the age of 17, but because her Southern accent was so strong, it sounded like Edge, edge. of 17. And so that's why she, uh, that's
2: where that line comes from. That's interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. That's cool. 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 So the next song, I love this song. It's another one that's really well known in a movie. Boo 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 Yes, so that would be "My Sharona" by The Knack. What movie? It was in "Reality Bites" when they're in the. Uh, oh yeah, and they're dancing in the convenience store at the gas station, and it's also the opening track. In the new Richard Linklater film, Everybody Wants Some. Okay. And so when 25-year-old Doug Feger met 16-year-old Sharona Alperin, he immediately fell head over heels. He was how old? 25. Okay. Not going to touch that one. Let's move on. (laughs) Uh, Sharona, however, was already in a relationship and wasn't interested. So Doug did the only sensible thing a musician can do, and he wrote a song. Yeah. So Figer didn't merely play it for Sharona, he invited her to the studio while the band was recording it, and then asked her to be on the cover art for the single. What'd she say? Hell yeah. (laughs) Uh, She should. (laughs) Yes, needless to say, it worked like a charm, and soon Sharona was taking, or touring with the band, and falling head over heels for him as well. So the song was a big hit, making Sharona somewhat of a celebrity herself. She says, people were very excited when they met me. I remember going on tour and seeing people dressed up. I'd ask, what are you dressed as? And they would say, Sharona's. Aww. <laughs> yes. Their romantic relationship lasted about four years, with Sharona inspiring many other songs by the Knack, including You Gotta Be There. The pair remained very good friends until Doug's passing in 2010. And Sharona is a real estate agent now in L.A. She says she looks back on it all with a loving fondness and that no matter how many times she hears the song, she never gets sick of it. No. No. We should go high five her when we're in L.A. Absolutely. Hey, Sharona. And yeah, good look at the cover art. That's that's Sharona. And uh, I believe Miss P was actually really good friends with Doug Feiger. You oh.
1: mm-hmm. should ask we should ask her how he pronounces his last name.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We hope it's Feiger, Feiger, Feegs. Yeah, Dougie. And there is that line in the song about going for the younger kind.
1: Yeah. So, Jimmy Page, we're looking at you. We're
2: looking at all of you musicians in yeah. <laughs> that era. Uh, yeah,
1: Steven Tyler, David Bowie. This coming from a girl who was...
2: <laughs> what? Um, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, is it my turn? Yeah, it's your turn. All right. Um. Okay, this is a song that if you tell me that you don't like it, I'm going to call bullshit on that. right? <laughs> okay. right. I'm going to say, you're a goddamn liar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very strong. <laughs> um, no. Okay. It's Wonderwall oh, yeah. by Oasis. And uh, you know, if even if you don't like it now, like you liked it when it came out or when it comes on, you're not disappointed. But we it's know you're not going to be the person who puts it on at a party. It's a 90s classic. But it's a 90s classic. Um, Oh, I just got a text message from my dad. I texted him, let him know that Paul McCartney's guitar player now (laughs) follows us on Twitter. He replied, wow. (laughs) (laughs) He's impressed. We're impressed. It's great. Um, So this song, Wonderwall, is about a woman named Meg Matthews. So it's funny because they added this little detail into the book, but that she was introduced to Noel Gallagher in 1994 by her flatmate who was an mtv europe host all right so like a like a A vj VJ. Mm. yeah which if i didn't have the career that i was in now and this podcast i feel like vj would have been
2: i remember like in my teen years i definitely you know considered that the zappa kids became vjs Oh yeah, a couple of them. VJs were bigger back when you know MTV actually played There's music. Still, I think they're still big
1: in um, Europe in and, uh, yeah. I think that's like still maybe they a still thing. play music there. Like, in a, it's funny because a lot of times I'm like, ooh, who's Russell Brand dating or like who are they? And a lot of the times it's like MTV, MTV. hosts or like, yeah, interesting. Yeah, it, it's the cool girl talking about music with a microphone. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so apparently, the first time uh Meg met Noel, she thought that he was a miserable
2: wanker. everyone thinks that of the Gallagher
1: brothers, <laughs> yeah, um, he was then at the time living with the Smiths guitarist, and they moved in with one another two weeks after they met. Wow, fast love oh, how romantic or insane yeah <laughs> um it could really go both ways like it is both romance, it's probably both at the same time. insanity one in the same yeah um yeah apparently and then where they lived like bono would just drop in it's like bono and noel gallagher were friends all right i guess um uh, so her impact on him was immediate she was in charge of his social diary Mm -hmm. and changed his like style and clothing. So she seems like a pretty cool chick um, besides wanting to like change him completely. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. The influence is good. Like my sister-in-law dresses my brother and he's a better man for it. Um, A lot of uh, rock stars
2: get dressed by their girlfriends. Well fuck
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they are better rock stars and they are better for it. It's like, it's essential. Um, I love it when I have like one of my guys come over and he's just like in my closet. Mm Mm-hmm. How about it? Um. So, born in Guernsey, raised in Durban, South Africa. She attended a boarding school and then moved to London at age nineteen, which is like a lot of these women lived in um places that were not the United States or Europe, and then went to boarding schools and then moved to London. And it gives them this like super weird story in history, mm-hmm. which is, I think, ultimately fascinating to these musicians too um she ran a dj booking agency and i don't even know why i added in that detail but (laughs) okay uh wonderwall was released in 1995 a year after they met and he was all like it's about my girlfriend because she had just lost her job and didn't have any money and all the rest of it and like some of these women that we talked about she uh became kind of famous from being his girlfriend of you course. know, yes. Um, Oasis were really big then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, who are they dating? De- and sometimes, like, I'm interested in like who is this person dating. Like, mm-hmm. I want to know what kind of like. The other day, I looked up like Sidney Crosby's wife. Holy shit, <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Um, yeah, they were regulars in the tabloid press. Uh, Meg had a reputation as a party girl, and she was um, hanging out with Kate Moss. Yeah, it was a big party crowd back then. They were buds. And so she said being like thrust into the spot like that was like that was difficult. Mm -hmm. But she loved every minute of it. Of course. Um, She did have a great time. So but anyways, their marriage, uh, they got married in Vegas in 97. They divorced in 2001. She went to rehab in 2006, as sometimes some of our muses need to do. Because mm-hmm. we know, you know, there's things going on in rock and roll. There's connections between rock and roll and magic. And there's connections between rock and roll and, and drugs. drugs. Well, I'm glad she got help. Yeah. And now she's like into health and fitness. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, So that is brings me to my surprise, um, my surprise song for you, because as soon as I saw that she was hanging out with Kate Moss, I was like, oh, my God, Um, the song What Katie Did. Yeah.
2: By the Baby Shambles. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, so I was in university when Kate Moss and Pete, do you say Doherty or Doherty?
2: I say Dorothy. Dorothy.
1: So I'll just go with that for,
2: um, you know, so just we're on the same
1: page here. Uh, they were dating when I was in, say, university. Mm-hmm. And my um, roommate, best friend, Corey, at the time, she loved him too. Like, we were obsessed with him. But then we were also kind of into the relationship. And we, like, they, were, they had posted videos of themselves, like, where he was just singing in a room with a guitar and singing, and she's, like, in this beautiful room, on this, like, hammock swing, right? Like, I don't know if those videos still exist, but we were interested in, Mm -hmm. like, what they were doing. So did you know that that song, What Katie Did, actually isn't about Kate Moss?
2: No. Okay,
1: good, good, good. I wanted to surprise you with that. It's not about Kate Moss. Hmm. It's
2: about his other girlfriend
1: before her named Katie Lewis.
2: I guess that makes sense. It's It's not spelled the same. Well... That's
1: where I'm going to get you again, because, yeah, he left the Libertines. He formed Baby Shambles and then released what Katie. um, Yeah, what Katie did or was that with Libertines? Anyways, when he was with Baby Shambles, he released what Katie did next. That one's about Kate Moss.
2: Ah. So
1: what Katie did um, is a song about him doing heroin you know, when he goes, I can feel it going down and I know that it won't take long or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. And it won't take none too long. It's about the, yeah, doing the heroin. Um, and that there was nothing she could do about it. Mm. And he recorded it in that early 60s style. Shoop, 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 de lang, shoop, shoop, which then was a bit of, um, throw to shoop, shoop. It's in his kiss. And there's a mention of Mrs. Brown, Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. And it was done with a bit of irony. So, he was playing around with a few things here. Not only that, what Katie did is in, it's a children's book that was written in 1872. Mm-hmm. So that I didn't know by Susan Coolidge. And that follows the adventures of a 12-year-old American girl named Katie Carr. So she was a tall and untidy tomboy wishing to be beautiful and beloved. And I know in his book of poetry, in his diaries, the books of Albion, um, he has a poem about a boy being very, t- like, unt- his, like, untidy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so a terrible accident makes her an invalid and her illness and four-year recovery gradually teach her to be good and kind, which is like what she wanted. So I really like that. And I really like the idea of like Pete being a poet, Leonard Cohen being a poet, Mac DeMarco Mm -hmm. is a poet, you know, it was nice. It was a bit of a nice theme, like with all of those, with, with these guys. And yeah, I loved, um, I loved reading, like pete's diaries and total poet for sure and i remember one time um i was seeing a a musician and when i was living in peterborough and when he left he wrote me a little letter and he put it in that book so yeah it was just a little um little love note left in
2: that book and i found it later and it was a nice little
1: kind of all around full circle bit of a romantic experience
2: yeah that's interesting i knew about him and kate i did not realize that first one wasn't about her i always thought it was
1: yeah i know That's cool. Yeah, and it's nice to, like, be able to talk about... I think I was reading a lot of his, like, poetry and his and his journals and stuff. Like, right around the time I was getting into Leonard Cohen. And, you know, if there's anything I can say, we're talking like, oh, that's, like, it's kind of a pain in the ass sometimes to, de- to date musicians and whatever. But, honestly, I've had so many romantic mm-hmm. encounters and situations and letters and songs and stuff that even though yeah there's like pain in the ass moments it's things like this that kind of make it work absolutely
2: and i guess i i I didn't mean it to sound like dating is bad i just rock star marriages tend not to last and like for me I've never, like, wanted that as an end goal. That's not really something I ever think about. It's more just about, you know, meeting people, having fun, and, like, having relationships with people. Uh, But, yeah. I guess I'm not big on marriage in general, though. Mm. Hmm. All right. Well, I've told you this before, I think. I have one of Pete Doherty's acoustic guitars.
1: Oh, Okay. So that bears repeating. Lynx owns one of Pete Doherty's acoustic guitars.
2: Yes. How the hell even? I got it like a decade ago. Um, An ex-boyfriend of mine, who's also a musician, uh, went to school with Pete. And it was through him that I ended up acquiring the guitar and he gave it to you yes
1: he gave it to you personally so you were in the same room breathing the same air just like around him what did he smell like (laughs) (laughs) he was a junkie then so (laughs) probably not the best question to ask um (laughs) hmm. yeah was he still like adorable though oh god yes yeah absolutely oh man
2: so yeah, you got his guitar. That's insane. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm going to go over I your house and touch it. I still play it. I love it. It's my favorite guitar I own. Yeah, no it's kidding. Really it's like from the 1920s. It's lovely. Oh, damn. Yeah. Okay. So I got one. All right, let's finish off with Last this Last little, yeah. We've done an episode on Marian Faithful already. Our first one together. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. We were so focused, or I was, on Marian's story that i forgot to add in this little piece of trivia that's really cute so in 1964 alan clark from the hollies penned the song carrie ann hey carrie ann exactly
1: about marion faithful the reason why i have to sing it is because one we don't want to edit the actual songs and two um my music supervisor friend says we're not allowed to put music in No, she didn't actually say that. But if I did ask, that's what she would tell me, probably. I thought you just wanted
2: to share your voice. Mm -mm. No, I'm doing this for you guys. (laughs) So, I love you. So, it wasn't until 2007 that Clark came forward and revealed this. He says he was too shy at the time to use her real name. But I suspect it may also have to do with the fact that he was married when they had their affair. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. But... Another cute song inspired by Marianne. Yeah. Yeah. Weren't the Hollies, um,
1: they, like, a lot of groupies have stories about them. Stories about them? Yeah. They they loved groupies.
2: In Marianne's book, she said something like marriage would never affect someone's reasoning on should they or should they not sleep with someone. Mm -hmm. Like, back in the 60s, that what like, that would, you would be square if you took that to thought you know he just if it felt right you did it and I guess maybe Alan Clark also thought that way <laughs> yeah hmm.
1: okay so that wraps up our girl in the song and if you're like wait guys why didn't you even talk about Layla that's yeah. like the the biggest new song of all time uh, episode one I started off with the real banger exactly um Patty Boyd episode
2: one go for it or um, and all the ones you think that we've missed, you'll be seeing yeah. their episodes come up eventually. Yeah, Catherine James Wild World that was
1: that was covered. Um, well, Kat you Stevens. mean Patty
2: Patty Darbinville?
1: Patty Darbinville. Yeah, no. that's what I meant. Catherine James is Doctor My Eyes. Mm.
2: Uh,
1: Yeah. So and then yeah, don't worry. We're gonna get to lots more of these women. Like I'm telling them not to worry. He's like listening. Like (laughs) we're not. Nobody's worried. Okay. Good. Um, Well, we hope that you enjoyed this episode and that
2: you learned some new rock and roll trivia. Yeah. And coming up, we got a great uh, Miss P episode, and we have our friend Mickey, who's the number one psychic. Yeah. Celebrity psychic, I believe. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She's been she was on E talk recently. She's got a bunch of books. You've probably she's the real deal, guys. She is the shit. Yeah. She's really cool. She's got such a great backstory. Oh yeah. Like let me just say carnivals and magic. Yeah. So we're really excited to bring you that and then we're gonna have a really super special guest super special the next coming weeks too which we're really excited about it'll be an interview um so that's it for now uh keep
2: thank you to everybody who's listening and who's and i'll make a playlist and we will put it up on spotify remember we're there now just look up muses and stuff and uh happy listening yeah happy listening to that
1: I think this is going to be a great one. Um, You can follow us on Twitter at Shantine Links. I mean, if Paul McCartney's guitar player does, you you? probably (laughs) should too. Um, You can find us on Instagram at Muses and Stuff Podcast, on Facebook, Muses and Stuff, same thing. Um, Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, all that great stuff. And just keep being amazing. And just like next time you go to a rock show, just like look around. Yeah. Let us know what you think, mm. but have fun. Absolutely. Always have fun. Absolutely, always have fun. We love you. Till next time. time.
2: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine. erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Wine coming January 2nd, wherever
0: podcasts are available.